Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. This next week could be very bad for travel. Millions of Americans are expected to travel for Thanksgiving, and if you're heading out, you should be expecting delays. One of the biggest mysteries is how many TSA agents will be in compliance with the vaccine mandate for federal workers set for November 22nd. The government doesn't think there will be any delays, but long wait times are inevitable, as TSA employees are leaving for other reasons too. Also in the mix, a significant storm and strong cold front could hit the U.S. Northeast and Midwest next week, potentially wreaking more havoc on travel plans. This weather pattern is expected to start over the weekend and extend into early next week. For more on how holiday travel could be a mess, we'll speak to Suzanne Rowan-Kelleher, staff writer at Forbes. Thanksgiving weekend is always a huge travel weekend. It's usually one of the top weekends of the whole year. This year is going to definitely be just right up there. So what happened was that in mid-October, the TSA administrator, David Pekoski, told CNN that there was about 60% of the TSA workforce that had been vaccinated. And he expected that number to go quite a bit higher in the next few weeks. So since I covered that story, I would check in with the TSA every week and say, how are the numbers? Do you have new numbers? And I kept getting, you know, just sort of, we don't have anything new. We don't know anything new. And that happened right up to this week. And then something else happened, which was yesterday, there was a panel, a hearing at the House Homeland Security Committee. It was the subcommittee for transportation and maritime security. And one of the people testifying was Everett Kelly, who is the president of the union representing federal workers. So he represents 700,000 federal workers, including TSA employees. And he was asked, does he know how many, you know, how many people have been vaccinated at the TSA? And he said he didn't know. Everybody seemed to be going with this 60% number, which was the latest. Now, I suspect that that number has gone quite a bit higher in the last five weeks, but we just don't know where that lands. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the bottom line, they said, was, you know, the long wait lines are just going to be there, which is not what anybody wants to hear. You know, they're saying that when it comes to the vaccine mandate, that they're not going to really see any disruptions there. They think they'll be fine. But it's not just that. They're saying that they're seeing a lot of turnover. People are just quitting because, uh, you know, low wages, uh, working conditions, basically what we've been seeing in various other sectors right now throughout the country. So either way, they're kind of saying might not see many disruptions here, but looking maybe towards December and the rest of the holiday season, there could be something happening. I think there's going to be long lines of Thanksgiving. There's long lines even under the best of circumstances. People need to get to the airport early. I mean, that's just kind of a given. You might luck out if you're going in a morning flight that those flights tend to kind of take off more on time. If you're flying out of a smaller regional airport, you probably have better luck. Um, but people are just going to have to kind of bring their patients with them and assume that they're going to come upon these long lines. And you're right, part of the problem is 
the union president, Everett Kelly, actually pushed back a bit to some of the members of Congress who were saying, well, you know, this vaccine mandate is making this problem. And he was saying, look, there's going to be lines because of staffing. You know, we have staffing shortages. So it's a combination. It's sort of a perfect storm that's happening. And you're right, all across the country in all different industries, the airline industries, you mentioned the delays because of weather over the last few months, but that was also because of shortages. So what's happened is that people have, in all different industries, have left their jobs. Often they took, you know, retirement packages or, you know, exit packages, and there hasn't been the staffing to kind of catch up. So we're, I just think that people need to kind of go in there with a reality check that it's going expected to be expect there to be a wait right get to the airport a lot earlier than you were planning on it and then enjoy your holiday and a, a little bit more back to the vaccine mandate because a lot of uh, people have sought religious and medical exemptions for all of that there also there's is also this push by some of the unions to maybe push back the deadline to january 4th that's the other deadline that they have for uh, federal contractors and whatnot they're saying maybe just push it back till after the holidays and uh you know maybe things could be a little bit better you know that might be something that was something that Everett kelly said in the uh, in the panel yesterday he said that the union wants to push it back to january 4th so that both federal workers and federal contractors who work often side by side have the same deadline. This vaccine mandate, though, was announced in July. People have known about it since July. I'm expecting, actually, that the number of employees at the TSA that have been vaccinated is quite a bit higher, maybe in the 80s now. I think that the Customs and Border Patrol had numbers in the 80 around now. And so I'd expect it to be kind of in that ballpark, maybe even a little bit higher. But look, like the vaccine mandates have worked at the airlines. There are definitely people who look for the exemptions, but that's the minority. The You know, when the airlines did the vaccine mandate up into the 90s, it jumped, you know, and they were... The Delta CEO uh, asked that they got stuck at 75%. They were handing out carrots, trying to incentivize people. They got stuck at 75%. And then they didn't do a mandate in the sense, Delta did not do a mandate in the sense of saying you get vaccinated or you lose your job. But what they said, I think personally kind of amounts to a mandate. They said, well, if you don't get vaccinated, we're going to charge you $200 every month extra for your health insurance. So that's another, you know, that was definitely a stick yeah, definitely. Um, to kind of poke people. <laughs> that's going to push. So, that's going to push them to to adopt it that much quicker. Uh, you know, definitely exactly. at that point. So, exactly, and yeah. then they jumped up. Their numbers jumped way up too. So they've seen this all over travel. That when the mandates come in, the numbers definitely go up. And the other thing to keep in mind is that. There are a lot of people pushing for vaccine mandates, not just for the employees, but for passengers. As you know, that's part of the international travel. When people come into the U.S. now, they have to be vaccinated. And there was just a couple of dozen members of Congress that are pushing for that to be drifted over to the U.S. travel. And when you look at surveys uh, since, gosh, five, six months now, steady, The American people are behind it. Every survey says two-thirds of Americans want vaccine mandates for passengers. And, uh, you know, there was a poll yesterday that came out of Morning Consult. Only 45% of Americans feel comfortable flying right now. So, yeah, it's an ongoing story. (laughs) And I'll put it that way. Yeah, definitely. Suzanne Roland-Kelleher. 
staff writer at Forbes covering travel trends. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Finally for this week, do you ever wonder why you might not feel like you fit into a particular political party? Americans are divided for sure, but it goes beyond a left or right thing, a Republican or Democrat thing. Even within each party, there are deep divides. Pew Research sorted out American ideologies into nine distinct categories, four that lean left, four that lean right, and the stressed sideliners in the middle. And for those that do fit somewhat into the center, they often hold little common background. For more on this wide spectrum of political beliefs, we'll speak to Baxter Oliphant, senior researcher at the Pew Research Center. What we did is we conducted a survey with uh, a little bit more than 10,000 Americans over the summer is when we did most of this. And then we ran some statistics on it. And as you mentioned, we identified these nine groups. We found four that are oriented toward the Republican Party. That means you more of the people in those groups say they're either Republicans or lean towards the Republican Party. And we found four groups that are oriented towards the Democrats. And we had one where it's about evenly split between Republicans and Democrats. So it does seem that the majority of people do kind of identify with the two major parties, but with some slim room in the middle for certain people. Polarization between Republicans and Democrats is still in this, in what we found, is there's really big gaps between these groups. But the approach that we took in not just restricting it to the two parties allowed us to see that there are some differences even within the parties. So there's, for example, these four groups that say they're Republicans, but when we ask a lot of questions about their views about politics, their values that they bring to politics, then we can dive into that. And we will see there are things they agree about that unite them as Republicans, but there's still things that they disagree about. So for example, we found one of our Republican groups, which we call the populist right, that is much more skeptical about the economy and its fairness than other Republicans. The populist right, they're much more likely to support raising taxes than the rest of the party. They're much more likely to say that the profits corporations earn are not fair, which aren't the attitudes that might typically be associated with people who call themselves Republicans. These are also people with a less formal education and uh, Mm -hmm. most likely to live in rural areas as well. Yes, Yes. Yeah, well, it's an interesting one because I, you would uh, kind of say that out. And those uh, tend to be, it looks like they would be probably uh, supporters of former President Donald Trump, but they're also more willing to raise taxes, which is kind of a, you know, a, a weird uh, classification for them, I guess. The populist right, they're some of the strongest supporters of uh, former President Trump. But we find another group with different attitudes about taxes and the economy that are also very strong supporters of the former president. And this is our faith and flag conservatives group. And these two groups, the faith and flag conservatives and the populist right, they both make up about a quarter of the people we surveyed who call themselves Republicans. So they're a big chunk of the party. They both support Trump, but they have different attitudes where the populist right group has a little skeptical about the economy. The faith and flag conservatives, they're the folks who really are active in their faith compared to a lot of other groups. They want to see the government support religious values. They see religion as very important to the country. They're also the most likely group to say that the U.S. is the best country in the world. So they're they're very patriotic and very religious. 
and also a, a key part of the Republican coalition. In this Republican-leaning group, we also have the committed conservatives. These are probably what you would call more of like your traditional conservative, it seems like, pro-business, limited government. A lot of them are less enthusiastic about President Trump and uh, big fans of Ronald Reagan. And then we have those uh-huh. that are called the ambivalent right, which are an interesting group. These are the youngest of the right-leaning groups. Yeah, uh, this ambivalent right group is very interesting. They're the only Republican-oriented group where the majority don't call themselves conservatives. Many of them do call themselves conservative, but the biggest group within this uh, ambivalent right call themselves moderates. They see themselves as moderates. They're the most diverse Republican-oriented group. About 65% of them are non-Hispanic whites, where in the other Republican-oriented group, it's 80% or more that are white. And this ambivalent right group is particularly interesting because what seems to unite them to the Republican Party is they are conservative on many economic issues and issues with the government. Like like other members of the Republican Party, they think the government's doing too much. They'd like to see a smaller government, but they're more moderate on social issues. So, for example, they're quite a bit more moderate on abortion compared to the rest of the party. What do we see when we're looking at the Democratic-leaning groups? We see progressive left, establishment liberals in this group. We're also looking at uh, the Democratic mainstays and the outsider left, which is kind of similar to the ambivalent right group. Yeah, on the Democratic side, we ha- as mentioned, we have these four Democratic-oriented groups. As you mentioned, the outsider left is a little bit similar to the ambivalent right. They're young. They're the youngest group. The outsider left is the youngest group. What's very interesting about them is they have liberal views on almost every issue we asked about on the survey, but they're still not crazy about the Democratic Party. They say they don't really feel represented by the party. They say they often struggle to find candidates that represent their views. So while they're not Republicans, the outside of left, they, they're very cold. We asked what's called a feeling thermometer, where people can rate how warmly or coldly they feel towards the part, uh, Republicans and Democrats. They're very cold towards Republicans, but they're only lukewarm toward Democrats, which is, which is very interesting. And when we look at the other groups, progressive lefts, those are likely to side with Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, establishment liberals. I guess they would say they're a little bit more... Uh, a little bit more moderate. Oh, the Democratic mainstays are more moderate uh, in their leaning. Mm-hmm. And the establishment liberals, I, I guess, uh, uh, they're generally upbeat about politics in the country. They agree with, I guess, the Democratic leadership as well. Yeah, the establishment liberals are the most optimistic about how things are going in the country right now. What was so interesting about this survey, these 10,000, you know, approximately 10,000 Americans we interviewed, they're members of the Pew Research Center's American Trends Panel. So we randomly recruited these people, but they take surveys for us uh, about once or twice a month. And so we can compare. We, we did this main survey over the summer, but then in September, we re-interviewed these people. And in September, the establishment liberals were the group most likely to approve of Joe Biden's performance as president. Other Democratic groups were approving, but they were the highest. And so they are a group that's a little more comfortable with where the leadership is on the party. They're more open to compromise than particularly the progressive left. And what's very interesting, so this is the eighth time the Pew Research Center and and the the organizations that came before it have done what we call our political typology. And usually there's only been one group of liberals. This is the first time 
that we have two groups of liberals. So we have the establishment liberals and the progressive left, where they're both very liberal, but they do tend to have different kind of attitudes, where the establishment liberals are a little more optimistic, the progressive left a little bit less optimistic, want to see bigger changes want to confront the problems they care about a little more aggressive. And we're seeing a lot of that play out right now in what's going on with all the debate over the infrastructure bill, the spending plan, the Build Back Better plan. Democrats are pretty divided on a lot of this stuff. We're seeing it play out in real time. We're seeing these different factions kind of present themselves. Okay, so those are the main eight groups for either the Democratic leaning or the Republican leaning. Who's in the middle? <laughs> and I love the, uh, way, I love the way you, you label them the stressed sideliners. Yeah, this is a very interesting group. They are our least politically engaged group. That's why, that's why we're calling them sideliners. They're not totally disengaged from politics, but compared to the other groups, they're much less likely to have voted in 2020. This is another advantage of them coming from our American Trends panel. We have data on a validated turnout, which means we, we match them to turnout records. And they were much less likely to vote. They're much less likely to talk about politics kind of growing up, to like, you know, they're just less engaged politically. So that's the sideliners part of the name. And we call them stress sideliners because this group also stands out for being a bit more likely to come from lower income families. And they're the most likely group to say when we surveyed them in September that their finances are either not great or really bad. So these are people that are not politically active, but are very concerned about how the economy is going, more likely to be right. low income. You asked this question, you know, with the articles that you guys presented, is there a middle in politics today? And I thought that was the interesting thing, because a lot of people, I bet, are willing to say I'm a, an independent or I'm something like this. I don't want to fit into one of the other parties. And going off of, you know, these categories that we've presented so far the ones in the middle are the stress sideliners, the outsider left, and the ambivalent right, but they just have so little in common politically, which is that interesting uh, dichotomy there. Yes, it is very interesting in how the data really does reveal that these groups that we call kind of Republican-leaning, so the ambivalent right or the outsider left, you know, they lean left, but they lean those directions, but that doesn't mean they're like very close to the other side on a lot of issues. Right. Both of these coalitions have a lot that unites them. And a lot of it is just their views towards government. You know, among the Republican groups, they all want a smaller government. Among the Democratic groups, they think the government should doing, be doing a little bit more. But there are other ways in which they do break away a little bit. And how we define the middle also makes a big difference. Like, as you mentioned, there are these three groups that are kind of the most middly, but they're parts of the others that you could also see potentially being peeled away from one side or the other on some issue. Yeah, it's just a, a really interesting look into how everybody kind of splits out. You know, you talk about the partisanship, the polarization that's going on, and all of this is evidenced of that. Everybody's all over the place. And, uh, you know, whether you lean one way or the other, you're not always going to agree with everybody else in your party. So just an interesting look at uh, these nine different groups now. Baxter Oliphant, senior researcher at the Pew Research Center. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. That's it for this weekend. Be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive has been engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive Weekend Edition.